Today's episode is brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we're all unable to travel, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the code 15OFF. That's 15OFF. Go to thegallery.com, that's the G-A-L-R-Y.com, so your wall will never be boring again. If you need help with editing, music production, or anything else related to your podcast, reach out to me at greg at suburbanfolk.com to discuss how I can help you get your voice heard. Health, travel, finance, parenting, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. $250 a month into my child's 529 from the month that they start kindergarten, I should be able to pay for 80% of my child's college. Because I don't trust that most people will eat their vegetables. So usually our kind of standard is three servings of vegetables per meal. You take something like a a two by six and you cut it with a circular saw. That's like a superpower. Those middle school years are not as fun, but at that age, they're still willing to talk to you. Welcome to the Suburban Folk podcast. I'm your host, Greg. Today's topic is around home improvement, specifically if you need to hire a contractor for a home renovation or repair. For those of us out in the suburbs, chances are you own your home and have either found yourself in a situation where something needs to be fixed or you'd just like to upgrade a room like a kitchen or a bathroom or something on the outside of your house. Selecting the right contractor can sometimes be tricky business, and if you've ever picked a bad contractor, you know that your renovation can turn into weeks, months, or longer headaches and aggravation. That's why it pays to have a plan, do some research, and make sure you're prepared to select a contractor. And that's where my guest today comes in. Jody Costello is the owner of the website contractorsfromhell.com. And she's the creator of the Home Remodeling Boot Camp for Women. She launched the site as a result of a horrible remodeling disaster she experienced in 2000, where she was in the fight of her life to seek justice. Realizing the lack of consumer education and protection, she wants to create a site that addresses these issues and provides guidelines and warning signs for homeowners to consider when planning their renovations. When you visit contractorsfromhell.com, Check out how you can receive the 10 key questions you must ask any contractor to help you get started with your plan. Thanks, Jody. I really appreciate you joining the show. It seems to be a running joke at this point that getting home improvement experts has been a bit of a challenge. So again, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. My pleasure. Can you kick us off by telling us about your background, how you became involved in home improvement and specifically giving advice or warnings maybe, (laughs) about contractors? Well, it's almost been 20 years now. I um, pretty much found myself in the fight of my life uh, as I was experiencing a remodeling nightmare with, of course, the contractor from hell. There was a lot of shock that that I experienced about what was happening, and and I really didn't understand why I couldn't get the justice that I was looking for. So I set myself on a journey to uh, put this website together, partly to help my attorneys, because I didn't end up in litigation, to follow my journey, and also to help others and to offer some tips and warnings about this is what can happen if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know what your rights are, or if you don't know what the contractor's rights are. So that was a <laughs> that was a three-year-long battle. It was 
a combination of, of course, a lot of shoddy workmanship, a house that leaked every which way from Sunday. It was battling the contractor from Hellwood who refused to really take responsibility for what was going on. We really tried to work with him as much as possible, but he was the type of person who would, you know, refuse to take phone calls, wouldn't come back out to the house. And so we pretty much were forced to seek some legal advice, which we did. And that's very expensive. And then from there, it was filing the complaint process with the contractor state licensing board in California, which at the time, just my luck, was going through a transition period and they were having firing and there was just a lot of stuff going on. And they were mishandling my case as well. So with the combination of the two, and by the way, this was three year long battle. I just was really at, I was just at my wits end. So of course I documented that through my side. I have not touched my horror story since I created it, you know, 20 years ago. It is as raw as it is. Um, I just said, nope, I was in the moment. That's where it goes. So Excuse me if any cuss word came out, but I was pretty frustrated. The good news is that I won my battle, both with um, in litigation and also with the contractor state licensing board. That's an interesting thing that I help a lot of consumers with, not just here in California, but in other states as well, because the problem is that these consumer protection agencies can do just only so much to protect you. They're not going to make you whole. It's difficult for them to try to get your money back or recover anything that may have been lost. And that normally is going to take, you know, litigation. And if you're lucky, the guy doesn't file bankruptcy and you might be able to recover some of your monies. I was blessed. We got our money back and then some. It still was expensive. We had attorney fees and I went through a couple of attorneys. So you can imagine how you know, dealing with that for three years, it's just, it's kind of crazy making stuff when you're involved in it. You know, the other thing is that what I've learned through all this is that these kinds of things that, that happened to me and happened to, to my family could have been avoided if I had known some of the legal strategies that I should have implemented that I didn't know anything about, but I have since learned. And and to just to let you know, my husband has a construction background. He's a construction estimator. He just uh, retired from his job with um, San Diego Fire Rescue as a construction estimator. And before that, he was, you know, in construction for the city as well as privately. So he knew the trades. But what he wasn't up to speed on is the what I basically teaches how to how owners can protect themselves understanding what the contracting process requires both of the consumer and the contractor and how they can protect themselves using these kinds of legal documents and protective clauses so that's kind of the essence of it and and really from there I learned a whole lot of this, obviously through my experience, but I also worked with the enforcement chief for the contractor state licensing board for 17 years as a consumer advocate, where we looked at consumer behavior, contractor behavior, ways in which consumers can better protect themselves, things, you know, homeowners need to look out for. That sort of was the whole essence of, of my education and learning experience. So here I am today. As far as bad luck is concerned, was this your first experience with a contractor? I assume not if your husband is in construction. Not to the extent of what we did. What we did is we added an addition to a two-story home. We're on a hill. 
we added a third edition, or yes, a third edition. And we did that because my mother was ill. She was failing in health. I was traveling at the time for um, another work that I was involved in for several years. And every time she got sick, I was the only kid left, right? And I would have to go to the hospital and I'd be out of town. It was getting ridiculous. I said, okay, we're going to bring her home. I'm going to quit this job. We're going to bring her home and we're going to spend whatever two, three years she has left, which unfortunately she passed before, about a month before our trial. So she never got to experience the good stuff that we had hoped to have for her. So in essence, he knows construction, he being my husband. But for me to take on a project like this, I will tell you, I deferred to him because of his background. I tell you, women really should be involved you know, in a traditional relationship. A lot of women, and I've spoken to so many over the years that, you know, they thought, yeah, I don't really know anything about construction. It's kind of intimidating. I don't know the language. I'm going to let my husband, or then sometimes the husband doesn't know the language, doesn't have time. And so I realized that if I knew then what I know now and gotten involved with it right from the get-go, probably would have never had this website and you and I would not be talking, <laughs> but here we are. Something else I think to be learned from your experience with the addition is something that makes a nightmare contractor scenario extra frustrating is you enter into it thinking that you're going to have this great end product or like you're talking about something that's going to accommodate a lifestyle change that you're looking for. So I think at least for myself, whenever a project gets started, you're really excited about what that end result is going to be. And maybe that's part of what makes you blinded to all of the things that could go wrong and checking all of the boxes. But I think that is what then also adds to that frustration because it's like that end of the road, light at the end of the tunnel thing that you've really been looking at and probably planning for a long time is ripped away. And then, oh, by the way, all this time that you're having to spend in getting money back, in talking to lawyers and so on and so forth. It's a lot. It is. And it's it's that point where, and I, I talk a little bit about this in, in what I teach, but it's that point of, hey, I've got this vision of what I want things to look like. And I can remember being there and how I want it to plan out. And I look at, I look at our plans and, and all our specs and excited, excited, excited. And we all look at that. And then what about what happens in between? What about that contracting process? How do I manage that so that I make smart choices, so that I, I pick a good contractor? What are the things I need to be on the lookout while I'm walking through this process? Homeowners don't think about that. I certainly didn't think about that. I def again, I deferred to my husband. People don't know what they don't know, and that's what gets them into trouble. And that's what I teach. So, whew, wish I had me 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes uh, going through those hard lessons <laughs> are yes. what make us who we are, I exactly. guess. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So, you mentioned that beginning part of the process of picking a contractor, and let's just go chronologically here. So, what should somebody be keeping in mind once they've decided they have a certain project to be done and that they need to contract it out? Thoroughly vetting the contractor for whatever project you have is the foundation for having a successful remodeling project. Because if you choose the wrong contractor or you fail to do your due diligence in doing a background search on this guy, and, and that's going to entail Googling their name, 
and their business name, looking on Yelp, complaintsboard.com, the BBB. I mean, Greg, you're aware of it. You Google things, you find out things that you would have not have been privy to before the internet when you put in information. It's amazing. And I go beyond that because I, I really want to encourage people to do credit checks on when they finally do choose one or two contractors on them with their suppliers. Because you, you, it, part of the questions you want to ask is, and I have a whole list of questions that people can get for free off my web, website, but you want to ask who their suppliers are, you know, besides how long they've been in business. You want to know things like, and you want to get kind of down and like, great, have you had any construction lawsuits related? And can you tell me about that? And they don't expect you to say that. And so you want to be watching them to see what, how they respond. I've had different responses since then. Um, but the important thing is like knowing that you're going to be checking on that because it's very easy to find out if they've had any lawsuits that are related to construction when you do Google. And you can also go to the county courthouse to see anything about um, another thing that I teach is about a lien history. So somebody who has the habit of filing mechanics lien against their customers for failure to pay or maybe some perceived notion on his part that you owe him more money, that's somebody you're not going to want to um, hire. And these are the little nuances that you can do in the background that can tell you about the behavior and the business ethics of that individual. So that gives you a lot, but most people aren't going to be doing that. I I can tell you that. Here's the problem. People will typically, and and it kind of irks me because we did this. We checked the contractor's license had no complaint history, no disciplinary actions. And we also checked with some referrals who said he did a great job, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? We hired that guy and it it was a nightmare. People do this all the time. They rely on, I'm going to, and I can tell you stories from homeowners who have emailed me say, uh, it's the guy across the street or my best friend, she's an interior designer. She has this contractor. And then they get into problems because they just trusted that their friend or the guy across the street, who's the contractor was going to be the bee's knees and that's all they had to worry about. And they didn't do much beyond that. So that's a problem. And and as far as checking the license and that's a necessary formality, I always look at that. That's not the end all be all. That's not going to tell you everything about him, but at least you want to know, Hey, this guy's licensed. He's licensed properly as either a sole proprietor or an LLC or whatever that looks like. And that's the contract that you're signing. And that with referrals, it's always nice to know that some friends will recommend them. But I've had people that had friends recommend them or they had referrals, but that's not the guy they got. (laughs) So a lot of things can happen happen in a contractor's life, like, I don't know, divorce, who knows what. I've, I've heard stories from contractors where things sort of affect their business. And once they, they have these stellar reputations and then they start to go downhill because of perhaps some personal or financial issues. So that's why I always tell people you simply cannot rely on that alone. You got to get a snapshot when you do these background checks of where's the guy at now? What's been happening with him for the last couple of months? How about for reliable contractors that happen to be expanding? For example, I have actually dealt with scenarios where I think I'm getting the owner that 
used to do the work, but now due to demand and, hey, we want everybody to be able to grow their business, they're now hiring out and creating new teams. And sometimes it can vary about how good the people that they've hired can do or even a reliability issue, of course, at worst. Is that also something that people should be aware of in what their current history is? That's an interesting question because these people who tend to expand can, like any other business, can expand too fast and then find themselves in trouble. It's interesting when you see somebody expanding like that, you're not going to be able to get, I mean, just from speaking with them, a really crystal clear view of where they're at now is or even their past history, maybe in the past year or so. I always, you know, refer back to, let's do that background check. Let's do that lawsuit check. Let's do that lean history check. Let's see what's really going on with this guy. I have a kind of an extended lengthy questionnaire checklist that I offer my students in my course. But there's, I have one that's public online that anybody can go to. But those, those questions that you ask them are going to, because you may, as as you talk with them, you're going to go, you might find yourself going in a direction you didn't really anticipate. And the guy might be revealing more, more things about himself. I mean, I've had that situation happen too. So because somebody's expanding, they're going to maybe losing control. That's, you know, that's somebody, again, it's, it's being smart about how you conduct your business. So always defer back to let's, let's get a sense of who this guy really is. And it's funny because I was on a conversation in Zoom, actually, uh, last Friday with a remodeler who's actually a consultant now. He's writing a book and he reached out to me and he wanted, he was curious about my background. So we had a pretty good conversation because one of the things he said to me, which I found interesting, I think he has 37 years of construction behind him, is that he said the biggest thing that he struggles with is the vetting process. The reason for that, and I, I, I went through it with him, much like I'm going through it with you, but maybe a little bit more deeper because he had very pointed questions. He doesn't have a sense of what of how the consumer is actually feeling and what they're looking to find. He has the contractor's view, but he doesn't have the consumer's view. And there's a lot of anxiety with consumers when you're, when you all of a sudden find out I have to hire a contractor, you know, Oh, how am I going to find a good contract? Where do they exist? What, what do I need to do? What are the steps I need to take? You know, there's a lot of anxiety around that. And because of that anxiety, sometimes people make, well, not sometimes, let's just say many people will make mistakes because they get a little frustrated or they don't understand it. And so all they do is they just go, okay, I'm going to go with this guy because he sounds good. And that's a mistake. <laughs> Actually, something that we've talked about on the show before from a financial aspect is there's almost this sense of shame after you've been had, whether that's in the contracting world or otherwise. So there's a statistic that says people are more comfortable talking about their sex lives than they are about their finances. <laughs> and and so similarly, somebody may say, okay, I had a good experience with this contractor, but they're probably not really going to tell you that much about the nightmare scenario because it's almost like they feel like they're admitting that they were stupid <laughs> in their process. It was probably the exception because I told everybody <laughs> about it. I even put up a website about it. I was just, I was just incensed that these, uh, not only about what happened to us and when I started discovering all of the mistakes we made between our, our construction law attorneys and the con the enforcement chief. It was like, holy moly, I really did a number on ourselves and we did so many things backwards. So, and but you're right, and I found that the shame 
process comes into, especially in different cultures. Uh, people that have reached out to me that are really ashamed. They feel find some comfort in talking to me about it because I'm like, hey, you are not alone. To say it in a cynical way, misery loves company. <laughs> but but being able to share the knowledge in, in these scenarios is definitely very, very helpful. A couple other real quick hits. Uh, back to the research. What's your stance on sites like Angie's List? I don't even know if it still exists, to be honest, but the ones where I think you have to pay to get the feedback. And I, I know I'm a natural skeptic when it comes to most things, I guess, but certainly things financial uh, it, it, where people would maybe put false reviews or things like that. I know there's other free options. How, how do you feel about those dedicated contractor vetting sites like that? Yeah, I'm not a fan, primarily because people are lulled into a sense of they've been vetted according to the site, so they don't do much. And and I'm telling you, I've had people say the guy wasn't licensed, he was on Angie's list, or I think that's now Home Advisor. And, um, you know, that's a big multi-million dollar corporation. Um, they've had a couple of lawsuits here in the state of California. In fact, I downloaded the, the, the pleading document and um, I spoke to the enforcement chief at the time about what was going on because I had some homeowners reach out to me who did source out a contractor from those sites. So that's not all the sites. I mean, I just happen to know those two sites. We had problems here in, in California and I believe in Colorado. I, I don't keep up with that stuff anymore. But the point being is I don't like them only because people rely on the fact that they're, they're going to be thoroughly vetted. And in one instance, they may vet the contractor once, but that was three years ago. And, you know, a lot can happen in 36 months. There's going to be some municipalities, you know, that are more remote than others. And you need somebody and you need to go to these lists. I don't care what kind of, you know, lead generation that you go through. You, you have to be so careful. You still have to go back to, you know, what I talk about is doing all your backroom research, Googling that name, doing as much as you can um, and, and not relying on the fact that just because they pay to be in this, which is you know, kind of a red flag for the consumer, that they're going to be good. Also going back to the referral piece, do you recommend that you have somebody that would allow you to see the work that was completed or does that not really matter? Well, you know, it, that depends when, uh, for example, I know a lot of people and a lot of different sites recommend that you go to the site even while they are in the process of building or afterward. And by the way, we did go to a couple of homes afterwards, but we didn't get in. They didn't tell us anything about much other than the guy was good and they were, you know, happy, but I don't know. The other part of this, Greg, is that they may have had some litigation and part of it is where you cannot speak to that. That's the agreement you make if you want to get some money uh, in return from the contractor. So you, the homeowner agrees not to say anything bad. People don't necessarily know what to look for when they go to a job site. I mean, what am I going to look for? I guess I'm going to look for a mess. Does that mean they're actively working? Um, or is the site tidy? How tidy can a site? I know our place, even with reconstruction with our contractor from heaven, I mean, it, there was a lot going on. So it wasn't exactly neat and tidy, but work was being accomplished. So, you know, unless you're somebody who's well-versed in the trades, like my husband, he would know what to look for. I mean, he'd be picking through steam. It depends on the person who's looking at the site. Kind of related to the job site itself, what about subcontractors or if you are hiring 
a contractor and you know that whatever they're bidding for, they're going to need somebody else to do a part of the work. Do you recommend staying away from something like that? Because let's say the person that you have the contract with is going to have a harder time managing the other contractor that they have subbed out a certain amount of work, which could at best manifest itself in an untidy work site and a lot going on. And of course, at worst, they argue about who's supposed to be doing what. And of course, things get dragged out. Well, a lot of jobs, and it depends on the different, uh, again, cities, municipalities, and, you know, there is a labor shortage as well across the board. But a lot of contractors will sub out. I mean, they cannot, some cannot afford to have employees and, you know, as an electrician, they're generally going to sub the plumbing and the electrical out. I know that our reconstruction contractor and many contractors we've worked with since then have their own drywall people that are employees for some of the minor work, Um, you know, but the roofing, the electrical, the plumbing, the engineering, that typically needs to be subbed out. What you do as you're doing a query of the contractors, that potential candidates, you're going to want to get a list of who their subs are, who they use, who they frequently use. You know, you want to ask who the employees, who are the employees, what's the work they do, the supervisor, all those kinds of things. Because the fact is not every construction company, especially small remodeling companies, can afford to have employees, but they do sub out. Now, having said that, there are some contractors that just a contractor by name and license, but they have no involvement whatsoever in with the subs. I mean, they just, they sub it out. They know these guys like my contractor from hell was picked out, you know, it was like what's almost available. I know there was some friction that we found out about during the, the contracting process that, they were not getting along. And because our contractor at that time, um, she still is, it was not quite so knowledgeable in the trades. He just kind of let it slip by. He wasn't responsible. He wasn't managing these subs, nor did he really care to do that. I think this is a guy, by the way, I'm doing some of the extreme examples, who was gone half the time. If he wasn't in Mexico fishing, he was somewhere in the mountains riding his motorcycle or he was, you know, in Hawaii. He spent a lot of time away <laughs> from the projects. I don't know how how he did this, but I know that he had multiple lawsuits, not just from me. The reason why subcontractors is a little bit top of mind for me, the last job that we did, we had two very distinct parts of it. One was decking and then the other was the hardscape landscape. So completely different entities and we did start to run into some of those issues at the end, for example, of who was going to show up which day. Uh, we had to have our irrigation system redone. So that started to happen before the hardscape was finished and you know, going underneath and a little bit of the finger pointing going back and forth. Now they worked it out. And actually going back to your point of guys out there, don't exclude your significant other because the women, I think, do a very nice job of saying, you need to explain this stuff logically because usually if you're not going to explain it 
logically, then something is wrong. And I will definitely say uh, my wife is very good at uh, holding folks' feet to the fire and making sure they do what they're supposed to do. So it can get kind of complicated with all those many hands in the pot. When you do get that list, when you do a questionnaire with the, the potential candidates for your project, you want to get a list of their subcontractors. So you want to make sure they're licensed. Right. And they're bonded, of course, like you would do for the general contractor. And you want to Google them, too. And you want to find out about them. This and this goes back to the vetting process. You're going to have a guy once you find out some some stuff about him and he's starting to look really good. Then it's like you're starting to narrow it down now. Okay, let's see who you work with um, and let's check out their background. So I know that a lot of people may check the license of a contractor, but they fail to do anything with the subcontractor, so they don't think it's important. I get it. I Again, I deferred to my husband. It's important for you to know who's coming onto your property and some a little bit of background about them. It, there's a lot of moving parts to construction. It's very complex. Of course, do your due diligence as far as checking up and making sure their licenses and um, there's not lawsuits and all those things that you mentioned. Separate from that, for the clients that you have, do you find that for the most part, people get what they pay for as far as the bids are concerned or does it really vary? As far as um, you get what you pay for, there's some truth in that, in that, and, and this goes back to what consumers tend to do is that they get a, a bid or a quote on a project and they look at, they quickly look at the bottom line, right? What What's it going to cost me? What happens is they may do a cursory look through the quote. What happens is people don't really understand what's in that, what's part of that quote. So if somebody is $20,000, you know, higher than this one, people might assume that this guy is this $20,000 higher guy is trying to rip me off. And, but this guy seems more reasonable, but they fail to ask the guy who's higher and the guy who's lower why I'm getting the two different quotes. And so tell me why yours is 20 grand less or, and this guy's 20 grand higher. To just accept it and not question it, you need to question your quotes. And so what happens is, by the way, <laughs> this goes back to uh, what I call lowball bidding, and this is a very common tactic used by less than ethical contractors, is that in order to get the job, when you do give them your specs and your blueprints for them to actually do a quote on your project, they tend to leave off certain items of your uh, required scope of work, doesn't make it into their bid, and their bid tends to be lower, you don't realize that as a consumer. You may go with them, but then as the project progresses, you realize that there's something that's not in there because the contractor's not doing it. And then you approach the contractor and he says, well, it's not in our written agreement. And sure as, as you can bet, it's not in there, but he'll be glad to add it on for an additional X amount of dollars. And of course, that's a change order. So those low ball bids, uh, you, I just have to encourage, no matter what that, that cost is, if you don't understand how to read the specs to compare them as they say apples to apples, you, then you should absolutely hire somebody. If it's a really large project, you know, kitchen or bath remodel, it's it's easier to read those quotes and go down line by line. But those larger projects can get very complex. Find somebody, if it's not an architect, somebody that you can hire to read through the contract, through the, the specs, make sure that 
everything's included that you want because that's what happens a lot. That's a real common problem is people start screaming, he didn't do this and the cost is escalating. And I, I can recall one gentleman years ago who said we had a $360,000 addition and my wife insisted that we go with her designers, the designer who did all the design in the house, contractor, but it escalated. It became over $700,000 and he was, he was getting ready to retire. Now he's got to work five more years, right? And he was really upset. And the response that the contractor and the designer had was, well, this is common. You should expect that. Absolutely not. That was, that's an absolute lie. That's, those two are probably in cahoots. Who knows what they're doing with the extra money? But you, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we as consumers are up against if we don't have our eyes wide open and go into this without a clear understanding of what's involved in the contracting process. Yeah. And it's almost like, gosh, if you can compare a buying experience in another industry or something like that to what you're currently doing, if something seems amiss, it probably is. So like, for example, if I'm buying a car and of course that has all of its own nuances and frustrations and making sure you're getting a good deal. But after you buy that car, they're not going to say, oh, by the way, you didn't purchase this one tire or, or whatever else <laughs> that's behind it. So, so why should it just be a given in a home renovation that it would be par for the course that you have these unknown costs that you're only going to know about after you've started the job? That just doesn't sound right. I know, but uh, let me tell you something. The construction industry has a lot going for it on its side. That's why I say, and, and, I, and I'm telling you, uh, the enforcement chief and I hammered this in for years, and that is it's the consumer's responsibility to make sure that they're protected and that they have the, the contract that has the language that protects them. You add those in because the types of written agreements and contracts that you sign with contractors generally always favor the contractor. In fact, I was reading a legal paper a few weeks ago about an attorney who says, this is what you need to do. Take this, take these clauses out. And he's, he's siding with the contractor. He represents contractors because that that's, that's open to debate. You know, of course, lawyers love that sort of things. As a consumer, you have rights and your right is to include those protective clauses that are going to afford you some sort of protection. So, um, you know, that's just another unfortunate thing with the construction industry. That whole industry is not terribly consumer friendly. And that's why we have to take, we have to be our own best advocates. I always say that at the beginning of my teaching, you've got to be your own best consumer advocate on this and make sure that you're covered, that you know what you're doing, that you understand the pitfalls and the realities, you know, in renovating and hiring contractors. And that's just the bottom line. And it's not rocket science, Greg. It's just stuff that people, it's not the sexy fun part of designing and picking out, you know, all the stuff you want for your home. It's the like, you got to get down and go, okay, what do I need to know so I don't get ripped off? That's basically it. Continuing chronologically, so let's say we've picked our contractor, we've done all of our due diligence. Are there certain checkpoints that either should be explicitly listed in the contract that say, when we get to this point, only then will I pay you, or we do some sort of walkthrough? 
that maybe would save you some heartache down the road? What should that look like as the project progresses? Well, initially, right off the bat, you want to have your payment schedule agreed to and outlined in your written agreement. So whether that's going to be, which I do not prefer, which is a third, a third, and a third with you know your 10 to 15% at the end held back until you do your punch list, or is it going to be every two weeks? All of that has to be part of your written agreement and signed by both parties. Uh, in addition to that, you're going to want to go, do I want copies of the um, receipts from the materials he's getting? You have a right to that. It's your money. If you hand the guy over $30,000, $40,000, you want to know where did that go? And, you know, my reconstruction contractor was great about that. He would give a breakdown of labor, material, profit margin, which I was very surprised, and, you know, costs to complete. And every two weeks, it was right there. It was detailed. And I understand that not not a lot of contractors are going to do that. I, I'm, I am finding that a lot of contractors do prefer every two weeks. It just helps them to better manage projects, especially when they're juggling four or five projects. They can easily stay on top of it. But, you know, that third, a third, and a third, I know most states say it's acceptable, but it's up for negotiation. You're never locked into that. You can always, again, this goes with your vetting process. I'm going to turn that back to the vetting process. Is this guy going to be amenable to that? If he poo-poos that idea, why is that? This is part of your digging into somebody's background. Some homeowners might, you know, say, I don't care. I'll do a third and a third because I just want to get this done. Well, okay, but you need to understand what that third requires. And you need to understand what what are you paying for? You never want to pay for work that's not yet been, be, been performed or for materials that have not yet been supplied. And that's where a third and a third kind of, it, it, homeowners are busy. They're going to jobs. They're trying to do this. They're doing that. And they're, it's hard for them to stay on top of their projects. So that's negotiable. But absolutely has to be written into your contract. Otherwise, it's going to be whatever happens, happens. And you don't want that. You want to be in control. So that payment plan is important to set up that you both understand what that looks like. It's written into it. And then, of course, we go into down payments. And that is every state has you know, a certain requirement, for example, many will have a third down and then whatever, or maybe 20% or 25% to stop, start the project. And then you can figure out the payment schedule from there, whatever you two negotiate. But in California, it's 1000 or 10% of the total cost of the project, whichever is less. So basically, most of the projects are $1,000 down payment here in California. And our contractor from hell got 30000 to start the project. So you understand that, you know, the husband, we checked the license, everything looked great. He had great referrals, but ooh, somebody forgot about the down payment requirements. And that's where consumers have to, no matter what state they're in, is to look at what is the required down payment because it's all different. So yeah, Guard your money up front. And um, even in states that require 25%, you can always negotiate that down. It's it's open for negotiation if you have a contractor that's willing. But those are things you just need to kind of understand. How about if they damage something and that becomes a dispute? That is part of your written agreements. And a lot of these boiler type of contracts may or may not include that. 
There's also some implied stuff in contracts. Uh, different states have different regulations that, as far as the contractors' uh, state laws go. Again, you have to be really careful and you have to know what those laws are and how you can better protect yourself. But everything has to be written. If it's not in there, then you can always do an addendum. Our addendum to even in the first uh, go around with our project and the second go around at three times as much, even though the guy was just perfect, we had learned so much from our first experience. We had added addendums. And so when you add a whole list of things, so there were clauses in there that weren't included in that. And he agreed to it. And, you know, bless his heart, because he had he was taken on a project that was such a mess and we were in litigation and uh, uh, most contractors would walk away from something like that. It, it was interesting. He uh, had a really good reputation, was really young in the business, I will tell you that. But it just turned out that the uh, an expert witness that we called was a good friend of my husband's who was when they were back constructing houses in the day. And he came over to see what was going on. He worked for a company that dealt with shoddy work and they were in litigation. He looked at the work. We called over the co- you know, the potential contractor, which was our contractor from heaven, turns out they used to work together. And it was just, it was like a fabulous get together. They hadn't seen each other for two years and they completely combed through our house, made a list of everything that was wrong. And we felt pretty confident with the guy. But anyway, I sort of deviated from your question, but I wanted to just share that with you as again, get, get everything written into your contract that you want to have happen. And you know, if you don't, it's because what happens is when if you file a complaint with an, an agency or if you end up in litigation, whatever that looks like, the first thing people are going to want to know, they don't want to hear your story. They want to look at your written agreement and then they're going to make a decision. Right. So that written agreement better be there to protect you and not just the contractor. I kind of wonder if contractors are used to homeowners that don't do this kind of homework. Did they actually just move on? <laughs> Have you ever found that, that somebody has a hard time finding a contractor that's willing to put the work in that has the protections for the homeowner in the contract and uh, be fair, I guess is a way to say it? Yeah. I, you know what? It's interesting. I have had some consumers over the years that um, did have a hard time finding a contractor, but they were also not in a municipality that was that had a whole lot going on in terms of finding contractors. So already, if these contractors, these proposed contractors, are um, not willing to sign certain things, that tells me that they're not confident in their work, that they really are not interested in performing quality work or forming a a good working relationship with the consumer, building their reputation. For the most part, and especially now with COVID and especially when we went through the economic downturn in 2008, 2009, contractors were hungry. But when they're not hungry, you may run into that. But here's the bottom line. You will need to find somebody that's going to have your best interests at heart, that their business ethics are solid, and they're going to perform quality work that meets industry standards. If you settle for stuff that's less, that's where you're going to find yourself in trouble. That also probably speaks to being prepared for the job that you need done and hopefully having everything in such a way that you don't need emergency work done if you can help it. I mean, obviously that depends on the work 
you need if if your house's foundation is about to crumble or something you don't have the luxury of time but i imagine for anything that is an addition like you're talking about or other types of facelifts uh, like like a kitchen renovation then take your time don't get too caught up in the emotion of having this nice new kitchen or the nice new bathroom the other thing that i always tell people is that you know, you need to learn how to better manage your project. You need to be involved in it. There's many contractors that have certainly agreed with me on this, is that you need to understand what's happening with your project throughout the week, whether you're communicating with the contractor, which you can put into your written agreements at the end of the week, a roundup of what happened, what hasn't happened. And you just write that in. Uh, you don't want somebody to communicate with every two and three weeks and you don't know what the heck is going on with your project. Um, so you want to be sure that you write those things into your written agreement. And again, this is part of the vetting process. It really, You really suss out the guys who are not interested in doing quality work, building a reputation and making the customer happy. They're just interested in getting their hands on your money, doing whatever work they need to do, who cares if they file a complaint on me? For very often with these consumer protection agencies, I've worked with several across the country. It takes a number of complaints and how egregious they are in nature before they will make them public or post them on their websites. And there has there's a process that needs to go through where they have the investigators have to look at the contractor's background, what the consumer is doing. They may just give them a warning. That doesn't make it onto the website. And if there is an investigation going on, like ours, when we looked at his license, it was clear. Well, lo and behold, eight months later, when we were talking to attorneys, there was the disciplinary action on two different cases. When I go back to the vetting with the checking out the license and saying it's a necessary formality just to see that he's licensed with the proper name, and there is no current history of disciplinary action. That doesn't mean there's nothing going on. It just hasn't made it onto their public record. And, and a lot of that, that's been decided many, many moons ago by the construction industry and the lobbyist group where that's just done to really protect the, the contractors. Because to be honest, stuff happens on these projects. Things go wrong. Contra- there's stupid contractors. There's great contractors. There's stupid homeowners. There's great- <laughs> I mean, we're just like, what? What's going on? What's going on? So, you know, these are all things that as a consumer, okay, here's what I'm faced with. Here is the potential. Here's the realities. Here's the risk. How do I better protect myself from this stuff? So we've gotten our job finished. We've walked through and we've agreed that everything is completed. What else should be done when the project concludes to make sure that you're satisfied? I'm thinking, are there warranties or guarantees that you should be looking for? What else should you be looking at? One of the things that once the project is completed, there's a, there's a called what's called a notice of completion that generally either the contractor or the homeowner can file that notice, notice of completion um, with the county recorder's office. If the homeowner does it, and this is something I learned from the enforcement chief, if you're having trouble with a contractor and he walks off the job, and that's the last day him or any of his subs or employees were involved, you should immediately file a notice of completion with the recorder's office because it reduces the amount of time that they can file a mechanics lien against your property. Had I known that, our lien was filed against our property on the 90th day. 
because <laughs> I didn't know about that. If I had filed it, it would have shortened it. He would have missed it because he's not that smart. So <laughs> he was ban- he was really banking on the fact that I've got 90 days. But there he that but that was it. So I would have surprised him. And and the enforcement chief did tell me that a lot of contractors are surprised by that. And these are the less than ethical guys. But you know, a general contractor, yeah, he'll he'll he can file a notice of completion, he'll send it off to the homeowner, you know, things get signed. You know, obviously prior to that, you know, before you make that before you let go of that last ten to fifteen percent, which you hold back, you do your punch list, you do your walkthrough, and then things get satisfied, then that notice of of completion follows. And then as far as warranties go and guarantees, that's, you know, there is a, there's a standard warranty on a, in most states that contractors will give homeowners. It's a limited one-year warranty for their work. Sometimes it'll include materials and it, it just depends on the contractor. Now, I have been told by people in the know that somebody, a contractor who will offer beyond one one year, such as two or three years even, um, and includes materials like the drywall is bulging through, nails are popping, that sort of thing. That goes back to vetting the contractor. When you look at the, and you ask these questions, you know, what kind of guarantee, what are your warranties on your work or materials, what that looks like, what's the extent. A good warranty when when a contractor goes to the trouble of extending, doing an extended warranty to two years, even three, and also includes materials beyond his work, which is just kind of a standard, that tells you that the contractor has great confidence confidence in its work. And it's stipulated in these uh, warranties, by the way, that the contractor will come back. (laughs) That's another thing to repair any defects or any problems with his work. Um, And if materials are included, then that would also be addressed. So, but I'll tell you, I I will say this, it, it it can be a challenge for many homeowners when those limited one-year warranties, which, you know, we had a two-year warranty with our reconstruction contractor and Great that he did that because he was having to go behind somebody who did a lot of shoddy work, but he did guarantee his work for two years and it was materials and it was labor. We have no problem with that. If somebody refuses to come back or doesn't answer their phone, I mean, that's not a good contractor, somebody who wants to build a reputation because we've got the internet. We can file complaints every which way from Sunday for the public to see. So a good contractor is going to make an effort to always come back. You want that into your written agreement that he will come back within that year's time from signing that that warranty. You can always file a complaint saying that the guy did not honor his agreement about the warranty. Now, you may be going down a rabbit hole and nothing will be resolved because, again, consumer protection agencies are limited in, in how much help they can offer consumers. But sometimes... They and off that what they do is send a letter to the contractor, and and if the contractor cares enough, he may go back and respond just so he doesn't get his license um, marred by any kind of disciplinary action. Uh, if even that happens, I'm, I'm telling you, it's very difficult. But those are some of the things that you can use. But more often, and I hear this unfortunately, is a lot of con, and these are consumers that have have chosen what. Uh, Poorly, when they chose their contractor, the guy never comes back, doesn't answer their phone calls. I mean, I, I understand that feeling um, quite well. So you've got to go back to that vetting process and you want to look at those warranties and you want to get those written agreements. That as part of your written agreement. These are boiler 
plate type of warranties. You can add language to it that protects you and, you know, and the contractors agrees to it. Yeah, I will come back within the next 12 months if my work is shoddy, whatever. And he's confident in his work, he'll, he'll do it. Our contractor from Evans signed it. There was no problem. We never had any problems. So that age old saying ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure <laughs> probably is very, very relevant when you're going through this process. So let's say that you've done all of this process. Well, not even to the end part, but you've done the due diligence on the front end and you're just not getting anybody that you feel comfortable with. Do you ever tell folks, depending on what the work is, to maybe consider doing it yourself, going a DIY route? If it's going to be something that requires licensing for something like electrical, plumbing, roofing, things that can do serious damage and you can be harmed and blow up your house or or your roof leaks like um, for the very first rain and it's just, you know, it's a nightmare, then I, I, I would not. I do not. Now, I do recommend, and we did a lot of our own interior work. So, for example, I did the interior painting. I was into faux finishing and into Venetian plasters. And so my interior of my home is all that. My husband did the moldings and he put down some flooring because he had experience in that. So we did that. So if you have experience in that, we didn't do tile, tile work. It's not his area of expertise, but uh, because he's work, worked with wood in the past and all that sort of thing, he felt very comfortable doing that. So if you have some experience in that, absolutely, it's not going to impact just the foundation of your home or something like that. Then, you know, it's, I just believe in doing it yourself for so many different things. I mean, the moldings, the doors we put in, the flooring, just, and even, even when we did, we went back to do a couple of old bathrooms that were not part of this original quote. We had somebody come in and gut everything. My husband did the drywall. Then we had somebody come in and tile. I did the, the painting and the faux finishing in those bathrooms. He installed the cabinets in one of the bathrooms, and then we had somebody else install the cabinets in another one. But, you know, if you're not just handy, but you're proficient at doing some of that stuff, so you won't end up with something, something wonky looking <laughs> that you just did, then I, I encourage it because there's a lot of people out there that are handy. They love to do that kind of stuff. I know we did. I'm the kind of guy that I think I can do a particular project and I start it. And then inevitably when you find something that you didn't realize was going to be a challenge, then I start to say, was this really a good idea to do this? And then I power through it and knock on wood. Anytime I have, it's been a pretty good result. But from my experience, where it really helps is when you do get to a job that you need a contractor for, like you said, if it's uh, something that requires a license like certain plumbing or electrical, at least it puts you in a certain frame of mind to understand a little bit how a project is going to progress. So I think when you get to even that bid, like we're talking about with here is what you're paying for on a one, two, three, four list basis to help you know that you're comparing apples to apples. It does, I think, root you in a little bit of some basis for what's the words on the page say <laughs> um, when you're trying to make sure that you're getting a good deal and that you follow what's happening. Now, again, of course, to your point, all the contracting and stuff is its own thing, but at least it, it, I think it'll help a little bit in the process. 
Oh, yeah, because you want to have um, peace of mind that your, you know, the electrical work is sound, that everything's to code, you know, because you're going to have to pull permits for these kinds of things and, and your roof. So <clears throat> if you're going to do owner builder and you're going to, you know, that goes another thing. Is it going to pull the permits yourself? You know, the responsibility of good, bad and ugly and fines and um, everything else that the city or municipality may may bestow upon you for what they perceive as being incorrect work is going to fall on your shoulders. So that's why you never want to pull a permit as a homeowner if you hired a contractor. I know that some contractors will try to get the homeowner to pull the permits, but that's only because either they're unlicensed, they've been revoked, or who knows what. They just don't want the responsibility, so you never want that to happen. But, you know, when you get into these other... Uh, you want somebody that's that's licensed, somebody that's proficient in their job, that they have a number of years of experience, you know, going back to the vetting process, and will guarantee their work. So when it comes to the electrical, plumbing, roofing, that sort of thing, you absolutely want to find somebody. So you know, that's just even the repair people, right? We do that all the time. We have specific plumbers that we use. We have two electricians that we rely on. We have a roofing guy that we just did our roof on. We're doing two other roofing uh, jobs with they're they're great we know their work but we would never undertake that so and would never pull the permits for it because god knows that would just cause us more problems than anything yeah gosh i would almost think that having the permits filed for you would certainly be one of the perks of having a contractor so i would think that would be a bit of a red flag yes 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 and it is and i do mention that on my site and that was actually proposed to us way long time ago by somebody. Well, you, here's a, here's what they say. If you pull the permits yourself, your potential contractor, you'll save yourself some money, a boatload of money. Well, that's a lie. You're not going to save yourself any money. You're going to give yourself headaches. You're going to end up spending money for it. Everything falls on you. The city's going to slap you with this, that, or the other if the contractor doesn't perform uh, meeting the standards, the industry of the code. So it's going to fall on you. It's going to be your money. It's going to be your headache. So never do that. Let it be the contractors. That's why they got licensed. That's why they, why they make the big bucks. Let them take care of that. I think that makes sense. Well, Jody, I, that's about all the questions that I had. This is, in my opinion, vital information for anybody in the suburbs that has their own home to make sure they have some grounding in a process before they approach a contractor. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to mention? The only other thing I would say is if there's somebody that obviously does need help or would like direction on that, I do have an online course called the Home Remodeling Bootcamp for Women, uh, where I teach all the strategies and uh, there are simple strategies and steps people can take to navigate the contracting process confidently so that they end up experience a problem-free remodel. And I know it says for women and men have taken my course, but I focus on women because, you know, as I, I really have a heart for women because typically they're the ones that reach out to me when trouble starts brewing. And um, these are the mama bears and she bears that come out ready to fight back to protect their home and families. So I do focus on them, but you know, anyone's welcome to take that course. I imagine for the guys, maybe it's a little bit of the same part of us that makes us not want to ask for directions. Although I guess, yes. <laughs> I, I, I guess with GPS, that's even less of a thing anymore. But uh, I'm sure that stereotype holds true at least a little bit. Yes, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> well, and uh, your contact info, if anybody needs to reach out to you for questions. Sure. So my website is contractors 
from hell.com. My email address is my initials, jc at contractorsfromhell.com. They can just, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. You can go to my contact page or you can just directly email me at the address I just gave you. I'm happy to answer any questions, give you any guidance, something that I've been doing for almost 20 years. So absolutely. Perfect. And again, it is definitely important work. I'll be sure to put links to your course as well as your contact information into the show notes. So it's easy for folks to find you. Again, Jody, I appreciate you joining the show today and we'll be in touch. Uh, I love it, Greg. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get podcasts. If you'd like to be notified of future weekly episodes, please hit the subscribe button. If you'd like to help us even further, visit suburbanfolk.com and you'll find a donate button where all the money goes back into the show for you. Thanks for listening. Suburban Folk is part of the Pod All the Time podcasting network with 12 other great podcasts. Head over to suburbanfolk.com for links to their shows. We're also part of the Ring Media Network. Go to ringmedia.com to learn more. That's R-R-I-N-G media.com.